David Locke, kind enough to join us, play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. David, how are you? I'm good. How are my friends, Scotty and Hans? It was so great to have you in the studio, Scotty. And you as well, Hans. Oh, thanks. It was a good time. Just like the good old days. There we go. It was. Those were fun days, for sure. Uh, Those 8 o'clock starts, maybe not so much. uh, Yeah, not great. (laughs) (laughs) Not ideal. I kind of like that midday, that noon start that we had. What was it, noon or 1 o'clock? Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. I mean, there's actually a funky, like, the 8 o'clock one's weird just because it means you don't go to bed till one thirty, which is not great, at least on my end. But the... um, the there is an element like if your kids you actually get to see your kids come home from school so that's actually nice um, but it's all different right because I mean you're not in the arena as early as you used to be so it doesn't I don't know it doesn't yeah whatever when you uh, when you see an increase from you know five thousand to six thousand could you tell from being Bowler and I talked after the game last night that our voices were sore for the first time all year that's awesome so that would lead. Um, uh, that would lead me to believe that I'm trying to get a little louder than the crowd noise in a way that I haven't had to all year. David, what's been the difference over these last two games, the Raptors and Spurs, as compared to the two games against uh, Minnesota? Um, well, I think there's a few things. So, one, um, I think, you know, playing without your two primary ball handlers is really, really hard. And so you're trying to figure out how to do that. And I think, you know, frankly, from a coaching standpoint, as well as a player standpoint. So I think Quinn's made some subtle adjustments and learned what works and what doesn't, um, as he often does with his teams, right? They always get a little bit better as time goes on. And so I think we're seeing the coaching staff make some adjustments to how to play with this group. Um, We did get the Spurs playing six games in six different cities. Um, last night coming off back-to-back overtimes playing their third game in four nights. So I think at this point of the season, you have to be aware of both what the schedule does to yourself as well as what it does to your opponents. And I, they were not very good last night. Our energy was through the roof. Royce was just like flying. I thought Joe looked like he might have been laboring, like as though something was hurt, but I thought his energy level was incredible. Um, Rudy, in contrast to where his energy level was against Toronto, was uh, understandably, right? We played on that one. We played four games in six nights. So, I, I think you just have to understand this time of the season where energy levels are. They seem to not have much juice. Um, you know, they. I mean, either that or just the fact they were playing black and white basketball, i.e., like when era when televisions were in black and white, um, might have been the impact on last night's game as well. So. Um, <laughs> They really took like 30 mid-range shots in the first half of last night's game. I could just tell your level of disgust on the broadcast. I mean, Coach and I were just kind of laughing about, like, just, and, you know, your subtle and not so subtle jabs on what the Spurs were doing. Well, I I mean, I've never seen it, but, like, I mean, it's led me to actually a really interesting conversation with some people around the NBA. We were, like, trying to actually figure out, like, so – like teams that have like the, I was trying to find the last team that played like that. Like it, like I was back. I was pretty far back today into some rosters. Like they took, they did not have a field goal or a three point shot with 25 seconds. A field goal in the, at the rim or a three point made shot with 25 seconds left in the half. But I'm not sure if what that or the fact that they'd only take 11 of those two shots was more stunning. Like some of that does. Yeah, but I think a lot of it. I mean, well, it goes two ways on that one. There's got to be a willingness 
it's got to be a willingness on their part to to do that. Like, you couldn't do that to us. Like, we would you, you could play any defense in the world against us. There's no chance we would have that shot chart. Yeah, Hans and I were talking about that in the first segment. Is that who San Antonio is, or did the Jazz – uh, put them in that kind of a situation, and at your point, I think it's it's a combination of both. I mean, Demar Derozan. What was the when's the last time he attempted a three? Like March twenty fourth. No, it's the last time he made one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, like I'm I'm all into like I'm actually have warmed up on the Demar Derozan kind of Alex English discussion. Um, you know, I I feel like that's like getting. He, he's evolved as a player and deserves some credit. I mean, frankly, if he goes to the line enough and his effective field goal percentage is actually not terrible. And, you know, there was a long time in his career where his effective field goal percentage was at 45 and 42 and 46%. Well, that's pretty terrible. Like that, I don't care where you're shooting from. Last year's effective field goal percentage was up to 54%. And this year it's at 52, which is actually, I think, still right below league average. So, um, actually, I think this year he might be at 50, so he's probably below league average now. So he had his one-year blip above league average on shooting. You know, th- there's some value. His assist game is up to seven assists. Oh, okay, I'm like I can I can warm up to some of it, but like it's one thing to be mid-range heavy; it's another thing to be mid-range exclusive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Scotty and I were talking about this, and if if the San Antonio Spurs come back tomorrow night and they do the exact same thing or, you know, something very similar, then I have to stop and question, well, is Popovich basically Bill Belichick without uh, Tom Brady? Because you can't come back and do the same thing after what happened. Yeah, I don't know what they'll do. I mean, I'm sure they'll play better. I mean, I do think fatigue was a large part of last night for them, so I'm sure they'll play better than that. Um, But I don't – they don't have great rim protection defensively. Um. And so I think that, you know, the Jazz did a pretty good job of that. Um, they don't shoot threes. Rudy Gay does and Patty Mills does. So, yeah, I mean, it will be interesting. I mean, there's always an adjustment. And they'll, they'll be better. I mean, that's the way. And that'll be a, you know, that'll be a tough one. No question. We talked about it on the post game, and I wanted to touch on it as well uh, here where you mentioned that it just feels like the team's starting to figure out, okay, no Conley, no Mitchell. This is what we've got to do. Is that on the player side? Is it on the coaching side? Is it a combination of all of the above? Oh, I mean, I think it's all of the above. Um, everyone just kind of tries to figure. You know, you're there's a natural cadence to a game, and it just changed greatly. And um, you know, also, you know, the Toronto win's really impressive. That was just I thought guys left everything they had on the board. I mean, I just thought it was it was really, really, really impressive. So um, I, I was I was wildly impressed um, on that end. Um, and I, I, I'm my hesitation, Scotty, is I, it's a neat narrative. I'm a little cautious of it. I mean, the truth of the matter is, so last night we played okay. Um, our defense was absolutely amazing. But on the other truth of the matter is that in the games that we've played so far without Mike and Donovan, I think we've had, let me check this. Give me one second to pull this up. We had four of our 15 worst offensive performances in the six games we've had without Don, you know, like here's our offensive ranks on our recent games. 64th out of the, how many games we played? 65 at this point. Yeah. 64th against Minnesota, 56th against Minnesota. 55 against Phoenix, 
50 against Toronto. Okay, we were 38th last night. We weren't that much better. Yeah. Like, we've defended really, really well. We were un- we've been unbelievable defensively in a few of these games. And against Sacramento, we went bananas. But so I'm a little uh, – it's a cute narrative, and we've all got to write a story and do a podcast and tell something. But I'm not sure I really buy this whole idea that we figured out how to play without Mike and Don. We'd get our handed to us most of the year playing without Mike and Don. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I'm just talking about, you know, and, and the, the impression I got is – is this team is doing the best it can to put a Band-Aid on a gushing wound that needs to be resolved before the playoffs. Yeah, and you know what? Pop called a timeout 40 seconds in the game, and he might have just pissed his guys off last night. Yeah, that's a good point. 5-0 right yeah. out of the gate, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that's all cute, and we all love that story, but it doesn't always work. Coach and I hadn't even gotten our Chick-fil-A before that thing. <laughs> right. But, I mean, like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I don't think so, but. We all love, like, oh, those dramatic timeouts. Why isn't there? You know, because every now and then you can piss your players off, and they're like, you know what? I'm tired as hell. Screw you. Uh, David, I wanted to talk to you about Trent Forrest a little bit, getting in some uh, extended minutes. He got a water bath, obviously, last night from Donovan. And uh, let's see who else snuck over there. I saw Joe was laughing about it. But uh, got the water bath. And we're talking about trying to get through this time without – Donovan and Mike, and it feels like Trent Forrest is picking up a little bit of the slack. Yeah, he's done a nice job. I'll give him credit. You know, undrafted, four-year veteran. He's exactly kind of that guy, right? So he's out of Florida State, played four years there. Florida State suddenly started winning. He's the common thread that winning his winning his win-loss record in four years as the starter on that team's really good. Um, he's got a flaw in his game of why you know there's a reason he didn't get drafted which is his shot is not good. It's 26% in college, and it you know, takes a long time to get off. And then there's a reason why he can play in the NBA, and that move he made to the rack where he came off one foot and packed it, like that's an NBA move, right? Like, you know, you need to – you know, there was actually a play the other night when you watch these young kids, like Darrell Brantley the other day had a play, and I'm a big Darrell Brantley believer, but he had a play where he came um, left to right across the lane and – I just wanted that flash moment, right? I wanted that moment. It doesn't always have to be a dunk, but there is something athletically to like putting the foot down on the ground, rising up and throwing it through the tin. And I, I want, I thought there was a chance for it. It didn't happen. And I was like, Oh, whereas like that just happened for Forrest and he did it. It was like, Oh, like that's those moments matter. You have to have that. And so he has the ability to get wherever he needs to get to on the floor defense offensively with the dribble. He has the ability, which allows him to make some passes. He has his head up. He plays in. He plays on his pace and makes the game come to him in that pace. He, I didn't know that he had that burst athletically. Um, and then defensively, I think he's been very good. His shot is going to be the determining factor of his career. So our good friend Bill Oram uh, tweeted out in regards to a story he was writing about the Lakers saying their season is turning into an unmitigated disaster. Where are you at on the current Lakers situation? My take on what's happened to the Lakers, and we should keep an eye on this for us, is that you're you're asking an awful lot out of their guys without LeBron James. And, like, Kyle Kuzma is a what option on a roster? Fourth, fifth, sixth, yeah. seventh, somewhere, right? So he Fourth played number one for a long time. Okay, that's hard. Alex Caruso was kind of a, you know, I don't know what he is, but he's not a number one option or number two option. He's a cute story, and he plays and 
frankly, Vogel, I don't think, believes in him that much because he plays about 10 minutes a night. And suddenly he was playing, you know, a pretty large role on that team. Um, Caldwell Pope is a nice player, but he's he's not your he's not your number two option. So what I think happened with the Lakers is that the rightful order of the basketball universe got disrupted without Anthony Davis and LeBron James for 20 games, and these guys are exhausted. Mm-hmm. And you know, like that's a big ask for for those guys. And so I think when they had their their main dog back and. Anthony Davis or LeBron James, they all just took a big deep breath and were like, phew, I'm exhausted. That was so hard. And guess what happened? They forgot to play. But, I mean, if you go look at their shot charts, Kuzma was their one option. Marcus Morris was their second option. Talon Horton Tucker was like their third. Caruso was like their fourth. Caldwell Pope was like their, like, intruders in there. Like, that's just those guys. That's not those guys' role. So I think, you know, it's the same thing that could happen to us here. When Donovan and Mike get back, Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles could be like, sweet, send me a life raft because I'm exhausted. I saw somebody ask Kuzma what what they need to possibly do to get back on the winning ways, and he said play Mark Gasol more. That was crazy. Yeah. I, I, I would shocked me. I thought, whoa, where did that come from? Right. Because typically mean, a guy will say, uh, that's up to coach. I don't have any suggestions for you. Right. And he's right, too, by the way. <laughs> so you don't so, think Drum- Drummond's not the answer, then? I'm not a Drummond believer. Um, he's one of the least efficient offensive players in the NBA. He's got crazy quick feet and really quick hands. So if they were able to turn him into some sort of defensive force, then maybe there's something to that. Um, but he's not done that. He was minus 11 in 22 minutes last night. Um Marcus was plus 17 and 17 minutes last night. Give Kyle Kuzma a PhD in basketball. <laughs> I do like how Marcus Gasol referred to himself as the wolf from Pulp Fiction, too. Yes. Uh, um, yes. That was and, – and for all you kids all out there – All Pulp Fiction references, even in Christmas cards, are good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Thanks for that reminder. We haven't. We tell that story all the time. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, he just uh, he cleans up bad situations and uh, makes bad things go away. I, I thought that was a pretty good comparison for sure. Yeah, he's um, good. He's very good. You, uh, when you look uh, you look across with what Denver's doing, and I know they lost last night, but are you surprised that – I mean, look, they got the MVP and, and he's awesome, but are you surprised they've been playing at this good a clip without, uh, with, after, the, after the injury? Um, yes. On the other end – like, I kind of, and I took some heat for this, I kind of had them as my West favorite there for a while. Like, and at least my betting West favorite, like when I was looking at the lines and they were plus, you know, 1,800 or plus 2,200 to win the West and everybody else was plus like 300. Um, I was like, that's not right. Like, I thought they had as good a chance to win it as anyone. So, um that to me, when I look at um, when I look at Denver, the fact that they're nine and one since Jamal Murray went out actually backs up my feeling on that even more so. Yeah, I mean Jokic is simply, um, you know, Jokic is simply insane in how um, great he is and unguardable he is, and so I think you have to understand that like he truly is a force. Um, yeah, but they're they're going to be a very tough out in the playoffs wherever they might end up. 
Um, I, you know, I hope for them they don't have to come out and say that they're against the play-in. Oh, wait, they wouldn't because they're not going to be in it. Yeah. <laughs> the closer you get to the play-in, the more you complain about it. Right. Unless There's you're, a, you know, 9 or 10. Right. Then then just become 6 and you don't have to complain. I love the play-in. I think this is the best. Like, I actually noticed today, I don't think I've ever done this on a late-season day. I literally, maybe the first thing I did this morning is check the games to see what games there were and what impact they'd all have. Scotty and I were trying to figure out who's going to be in the 10, San Antonio, New Orleans. Both of them have a hilarious last night was, finish. Last night was big on that. New Orleans, New Orleans is incredible. They do everything right except for one thing, win basketball games. <laughs> That's an important one, though, David. Right, but, I mean, seriously, like, Zion's amazing. Brandon Ingram's amazing. Lonzo Ball's terrific. Like, great. So they just, like, haven't won basketball games in, like, five years. Like, they did, Like they had Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and they didn't win basketball games. No. Yeah. Last time they won basketball games was the first year that people went to New Orleans, and they won, like, 17 straight home games. I can't imagine why. <laughs> There's nothing to do in New Orleans. What are you talking about? <laughs> but, I mean, really, like, like – Last night was a huge – like, they had a two-game sequence of the Warriors here. They played the Warriors three times. They kind of had to get last night and tonight, and mm-hmm. they didn't do it. And so it's – I mean, the Spurs' schedule is totally brutal. Um, I don't know if you've looked at it, but they don't play two games in the same city for 30 days except for these two. And it's not even their city. Jeez. I mean, it's really brutal. But New Orleans – I, I mean, maybe it's, you know, you're not following them day to day. And so maybe I'm being unfair, but it's like, you know, they, they've had injuries. They occasionally grab that win. But like they went and played this. I watched their game on April 24th against the Spurs. Uh, you know, that was a mammoth game. Like they just, they just didn't win it. Like it was so there for them that whole time. They lose by two. You know, you look at the box score and Zion that night at 33 and 14 and, Brandon Ingram at 24 and Lonzo Ball at 24 and Steven Adams did his. And you're like, all right, here we go. And then you're like, but they lose. Like, how? It's strange. I mean, even the Spurs shot more threes than they did in that game. Sorry. <laughs> but even, I mean, even Another with, one. Even Another with San Antonio's finish, you know, the, I'm just looking at, I'm looking at uh, the Pelicans right now. They finished five games. They got a five-game road trip. Philly, Charlotte, Memphis, Dallas, Golden State. They've got Golden State again tonight on the back end of a back-to-back after losing to Golden State, and then they finish their last game of the season with Los Angeles, the Lakers. They beat the Clippers just recently, and so that disputes this a little bit. Um, And they beat the Sixers just recently. So for a while it seemed like they were just the 500 team that won the game they were supposed to win, right? Like, Mm -hmm. So they beat Orlando, and they beat Sacramento, and they beat Cleveland, and they beat Houston, and they – but then they go and, like – Sprinkle in New Orleans does like a blowout win over the 76ers and a impressive in a blowout you know win over the the Clippers the other night. I I think they might have gotten lucky on who played on that Clipper game. It was no, I think it was no Kawhi, but I think Paul George played and they were beating most people. So I just don't have any idea what you're getting with them. I mean they're Forrest Gump, I guess. But you're right. Like they they have the like this they had back to back home games against the Warriors. I don't know if they were supposed to win them both, but they had put themselves in a position where they really kind of had to win them both and. Last night, they got torched. So, um, you know, I don't know. Steph Curry, can we just talk about Steph Curry for a few minutes? Because this is incredible. 
Well, you know, we're two minutes over break, but yeah, let's go. <laughs> I mean, on it, like this is kind of to me the essence of the greatness of professional athletes. So he's playing with Kent Bazemore and Kayvon Looney and Michael Mulder and Jordan Poole and Nico Mannion and Juan Toscana Anderson. Right? He's playing for the ninth seed right now. Like he could, t- like if Steph Curry pulled the ripcord, wouldn't everybody just be like, yeah, I got it? But that's not what he's done. Instead, he's completely reestablished his stamp on the game as a revolutionary player in the history of this game. I mean, you take him back to the 1st of April, and he is averaging 37 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 51% shooting, 46% from 3, and 90% from the line. So not only is he 50-40-90, Not only is he scoring 37 a game, but listen to these two numbers because this is what's revolutionary. He's taking eight free throw attempts a game. So don't give me anything about, oh, he just plays on the outside. Mm -hmm. 14 threes a game and eight free throw attempts a game. He's taken in the last three games 17, 17, and 18 three attempts. Yet still getting to the line. Took 22 free throws in three games, too. Yeah. It's He's breaking the game right now. And what I don't really think people have realized is the Steph Curry, Damian Lillard generation, which really probably should just call the Steph Curry generation, but we all love Dame, so we give him a little more credit than Fathers, has not arrived yet. So Steph broke the game in 2015-16. So if you were 12 years old in 15-16, you are now 19, 8, 20 years old. They're about to start arriving. Hmm. And if you think the Jazz taking 46% of their shots is a lot, wait till you see... um, Wait till you see what happens when these guys come in the league. And if yeah. you want to see gravity and stretch and what this – oh, my goodness gracious. Well, I remember talking to somebody, uh, a coach uh, – I shouldn't say who it was. but uh, And this was in the late 90s because, you know, the uh, three-point line was established in college basketball. I think I want to say in like 86, 87, around there, Key Smart hitting the three against Syracuse in the NCAA championship game. And he's – he pointed out, I was like, this is the first generation of player that really grew up with a three-point line where you walk out on the court, you look for that line, and you start shooting behind it to warm up. And I think is that's – and now we're dealing with the next generation after that with a full generation of kids that that have embraced that line and know what it's about. And, uh, I mean, I think it's, it, it's altering for sure. And then you have the Steph Curry influence that you talked about. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, this, this game's changing. It's going to be a fun change too. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. I love Steph. I, I don't know if I want to see him in a seven-game series, but I'd love to watch him for seven days. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. David, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, David. See you. Talk to you soon. David Locke right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.